Welcome to The Briefing. It's Friday the 24th of July. I'm Tom Tilley. And I am Jan Fran. And today we are going to take a bit of a deep dive on job keeper rorts. What to do if you think your employer is rorting you over JobKeeper. There were dodgy employees before JobKeeper. There'll be dodgy employees during JobKeeper. That deep dive on JobKeeper in just a moment. First, let's get into the big stories of the day. A quarter of a million more Australians will lose their jobs by Christmas. This is according to the government's latest predictions. One of the largest impacts of this crisis is its effect on the labour market. These are mums and dads sons and daughters, friends and colleagues. Yesterday, the Treasurer, Josh Frydenberg, presented a special update on what COVID-19 will do to the economy. Among the predictions is that the employment rate will hit 9.25% in the December quarter. Yeah, the budget deficit is expected to be in the red to the tune of 184 billion dollars this financial year. Now, that'll take around 30 years to pay off. Yeah, that's pretty full on, isn't it? And those predictions were based on a few assumptions. And one of them was that uh, migration would start again next year. But when the Prime Minister was asked about when travel would start again on a current affair, this is what he said. The opportunity for large-scale travel beyond our borders is not foreseeable. That's right. That's right. But this is what I mean, Tracy, when I say Australians can focus on that What if there's never a vaccine? And that means your head is to the floor. And when your head is to the floor, you can't see what your opportunities are ahead. I'm not sure exactly what that means, but I feel for any government trying to make decisions in this time because there is so much uncertainty that the only decisions you can make are based on the information that you have in the moment. And that is a really difficult position to be in. Yeah, that's true. And while it wasn't the most powerful metaphor by the Prime Minister, I do like that he's trying to stay positive and trying to plan for the future. Because if you looked at all these, you know, unpredictable variables, uh, you could be paralysed and make no plans whatsoever. But you do have to sort of chart some sort of course. In Victoria, a man in his 50s is among five people who have lost their lives to coronavirus in the last day. This is not just something that affects... Uh, people that are frail age. That would be reason enough to do what we're doing, but it would be wrong to assume that young people are somehow immune to this. That's a really good message there from the Premier, Dan Andrews. On top of that, four children with coronavirus are now in hospital. The state reported 403 new cases yesterday, so that is its third highest number. Yeah, earlier this week, we heard that more than half of people getting tested for the virus in Victoria weren't isolating while waiting for their result. So the government's now brought in a $300 hardship payment to encourage people to stay home from work while they wait for that result. Yeah, meanwhile in New South Wales, uh, 19 people tested positive yesterday, including a one-year-old. Now, three of those cases are unknown, uh, which is concerning. Uh, In Fairfield, which is in Sydney's southwest, that area has actually been declared a hotspot by Queensland and the Queensland Premier says that anyone who has been to Fairfield and travels to Queensland will have to self-isolate at their own expense and that actually that hotspot could be the first declared of many. Every single day after the New South Wales reports on their cases, if we have to declare further hotspots, we will declare further hotspots. Yeah, interesting approach. I wonder how many hotspots they'll need before they just shut the border. More details from Twitter have emerged about last week's massive breach um, where 
You might remember hackers broke into verified accounts, including those of Kanye West, Barack Obama, Bill Gates and Jeff Bezos, and they asked followers to donate in Bitcoin. It now says hackers got into the DMs of 36 of the 130 targeted accounts. The company didn't name those people, but it said that a Netherlands politician was the only current or former elected representative whose inbox was hit, which I guess means Barack Obama is safe. Yeah, so this scam actually ended up raising $250,000. So people did, in fact, donate to Bitcoin when they saw that very dubious link uh, being posted out. The FBI is investigating. Twitter either doesn't know or hasn't yet told the public who the perpetrators might be. But the New York Times has reported that actually the hackers got into Twitter's internal Slack channel, which is quite concerning, which is how they then managed to hack into some of those big accounts. Yeah, and Republican lawmakers in the US uh, House of Representatives have called on the Twitter CEO, Jack Dorsey, uh, to join several other tech execs who are testifying at a subcommittee hearing next week. So it'll be interesting to see if he gets a grilling there. And speaking of Bill Gates, he's gone on the record to officially deny a pretty wild COVID-19 conspiracy theory that's gained massive traction in recent months. Do you want a vaccine so that you can implant microchips into people? No, there's no connection between any of these vaccines and any tracking type thing at all. I don't know where that came from. Yeah, I really didn't think that that was a viable question, but it is 2020 and, you know, (laughs) it is a wild time. A poll in the US actually found that 28%, um, so more than one in four Americans, actually do believe that Bill Gates is planning to use a potential coronavirus vaccine to implement tracking devices in people. Wow. So... One in four people believe that. That's a lot of people, isn't it? And there's, I mean, there's no evidence to suggest that that is the case at all. So to have one in four people believe that, yeah, it's concerning. What would you do if you were Bill Gates and all these conspiracy theories were flying around? Would you would you go on TV and deny them all? Would you give them that credit? I mean, maybe you deny it once. I don't know if necessarily denying it publicly actually works, but I think you just get on with what it is that you're doing. I mean, he has donated $420 million for vaccine research through his foundation. That's what he does, and I think he's you just keep your head down and do that. Today, we are briefing you on JobKeeper rorts. Now, as we mentioned earlier, we have some fresh data on how many people are having problems with JobKeeper. Yeah, since the scheme began in March, the Australian Tax Office has received more than 6,168 tip-offs about JobKeeper payment issues. That's 72 tip-offs a day on average. Yeah, and the Fair Work Ombudsman has received 726 requests for assistance, although most of them have been resolved. So that gives you a bit of a sense of the scale. But remember, these are only the people who've come forward. There are many, many others who haven't, uh, like Tim, who is 35 and was working for a landscaping company in Melbourne. Now, he says he was sacked from his job when he could have been eligible for JobKeeper. Last day of parental leave, um, I got notified that I wouldn't have a job to come back to. My baby was 13 days old and the COVID was using the excuse to fire me. So very stressed. We didn't know... If we're able to buy nappies, uh, we're going to pay rent. Yeah, that's a stressful situation. Another common problem is part-time and casual workers being pressured to do more hours, so the hours are a closer match to the payment. 
So essentially the employers are using the payment as an excuse to try and get more work out of people. Yeah, that's been happening to Susie. She's 21. Uh, She's been working a few days a week in a cafe and she basically couldn't do any more hours because she's also studying full time. Obviously when you have a job, you need the job. You need the money, especially when you come from like a low socioeconomic background. Confronting someone in the first place about uh, work in the first place is difficult, but then when it comes to government subsidies and JobKeeper um, and the technicalities being quite difficult, the employer kind of has the upper hand when you have these discussions. So I think the, the difficult part of it was definitely knowing what uh, what my, I guess, my rights were in mm. the sense of JobKeeper and being able to like talk about that with her in a way that wasn't um, <laughs> problematic. In my scenario, my availability was limited because of university. It wasn't just because I didn't want to work. Mm. Um, and I made that very clear with them that whether or not JobKeeper was around, I would have asked for the time off for exams and I would have needed my availability to stay the same for university reasons. So yeah, that was that was definitely a frustrating point too. So the problem that Susie's talking about there for part-time workers and casual workers will be resolved when the new changes kick in after September and there's the two-tier system for full-time and part-time employees. Yeah, but there are other stories that we've heard from lawyers and unions uh, that some people have been sacked for asking about JobKeeper, that some workers have reported being asked to give some of their JobKeeper payments to their employers. Others have said that their employers have told them it's too much paperwork to apply for JobKeeper. So let's find out what you should do if you're facing these issues. We know there are three and a half million workers on JobKeeper and one million businesses who've signed up to it. Uh, Giri Sivaraman is a principal lawyer at the Morris Blackburn Law Firm and they do lots of employment cases. Giri, what JobKeeper problems have your clients faced? Um, I've seen situations where people who are part-time, deliberately part-time because of other commitments, are told, well, if you want JobKeeper, you're going to have to work up your hours um, until uh, you hit the, the mark that gets you to 1500 bucks a fortnight when they can't actually do that. I've seen situations where the employer says, right, we're going to flatten everyone to 25 hours. We'll bring up part-timers and casuals 25, but we'll bring down full-timers to 25. You're all just going to get 25 because that's what equates to 1500 a fortnight. So the part-timers are saying, hey, I don't actually have the ability to do that. And the full-timers are saying, hey, why are you reducing my wage? Then there's scenarios where employers say, try and use JobKeeper for purposes they shouldn't. They might say, oh, instead of giving you annual leave or instead of giving you notice on termination of employment, we'll just pretend you're getting JobKeeper and we'll use that as a substitute. Then there are scenarios where employers haven't actually qualified for JobKeeper, but they act as if they have, and they issue directions that would otherwise be unlawful. And what you've got to remember is, if you qualify for JobKeeper, then there are parts of the Fair Work Act that allow you to do things that you wouldn't otherwise be allowed to do as an employer. It's meant to be only in the extraordinary circumstance that you qualify for JobKeeper. So that's, I suppose, giving you a flavour of the fact that there's a lot of different ways in which JobKeeper hasn't been used properly. Yeah. I mean, I'm trying to get a bit of a handle on the context, I guess, because almost a million businesses have applied or are getting JobKeeper. We know that 18 Australian businesses are investigated a day. This is coming from the ATO, which is not a huge figure in comparison to the number of businesses that have applied. Does that figure show that actually this scheme is working relatively well? Oh, look, I think it was great that the scheme was brought in in the sense of a wage subsidy. I think that was really necessary. 
I don't think it should have been. And in fact, I think it should have been broader. I don't think it should have been closed off to casuals and for, who are working for less than 12 months. And I don't think it should have been closed off to migrant workers. One of the things, unfortunately, that I see in my world is often the problems you see are, are the tip of the iceberg, certainly looking at underpayments more generally and the underpayment scandals that have erupted and over the last few years in particular. Yeah, how, how widespread do you think this is and do you think we're not getting all the information because some people might choose to actually not come forward? I think it's probably more widespread than what's reported and what's being investigated and I certainly think people don't come forward. You remember, people are in a really precarious position at the moment. They're glad just to have a job. So in those circumstances, they're very disempowered and they're very unlikely to speak up. So do you think these businesses that are a rorting JobKeeper in the ways that you've described are doing it because, you know, they're being dodgy or because they're under financial pressure or because of, of problems with the policy? I think it's probably any one of those reasons. Um, there were dodgy employees before JobKeeper. There'll be dodgy employees during JobKeeper. I mean, I've represented so many people that were underpaid. I represented 100, over 100 7-Eleven workers who were underpaid. And clearly, there's a lot of businesses under immense pressure at the moment, and pressure can lead to bad or illegal decisions. Um, and then finally, in terms of the scheme, it was brought in very quickly, and it is more complicated than you might think. There's the additional problem of initially it was poorly worded, which led to, I that was one of the reasons why the government made a $60 billion error in terms of um, how much they thought they'd pay. If you're someone that is still well, currently in employment and and currently facing some um, difficulties, I guess, with your employer around JobKeeper. What are some of the avenues available to you? What should you be doing in a scenario like that? Yeah, that's a good question. First step is, if you haven't already, join your union. union. Unions have been super active at the moment in this space, getting their head around scheme and um, challenging dodgy decisions. Secondly, there is the ability to have dis- to take a dispute to the Fair Work Commission under the JobKeeper provisions of the Fair Work Act. Thirdly, you could go to the Fair Work Ombudsman, but I note that they've got a massive backlog at the moment, and so there are huge delays. And then finally, of course, you can always get legal advice and, and legal assistance. And Gary, we've heard about zombie firms or zombie businesses. What about zombie jobs? What if you're in a job that really isn't there anymore, like that position won't be there once the world comes back or that business doesn't really have much business left. What should you do? Should you try and get your boss to keep you on JobKeeper until March or should things change sooner than that? Look, I mean, I'd never say to anyone wrought the system, obviously, but I'll just note that the whole point of JobKeeper is to try and preserve during a period of great uncertainty. And if you preserve, you can bounce back quicker. If you close a business, get rid of people, it's much harder to then start up again. There's lots of data that shows that when a country goes into a recession and someone loses their job as it goes in or in recession, it takes them much longer to get a new job than than normally it would. Mm. So I understand people getting concerned saying you don't roll the system. And I agree, of course, don't roll the system. But just understand this is a completely unprecedented time we want to be able to snap back as best as possible. Preserving employment allows a snapback to occur more easily, um, whereas the data shows if you go into a recession and you've just closed altogether, much harder to come back, much harder to borrow money, much harder to get employment. 
you've just got to bear all of that in mind. That was Gary Savaraman, a lawyer at Morris Blackburn. Yeah, with some good information on what to do if you are in a situation where you feel like you're being exploited. I can understand, though, if some people might not necessarily want to go through these avenues or not want to seek legal advice. One of the good things to do in a situation like that is just to have as much knowledge as possible about the JobKeeper program. I know that there's a lot there to take in. It is available on the ATO's website. Nobody wants to spend their weekends <laughs> reading it. I understand. Not fun. It's not fun. It's a disclaimer but from us. But it'll help you have a, a well-informed conversation with your boss. Or at least a, a better informed conversation with your boss, which, you know, it's a start. All right, that is it for the briefing for this week. But hang on a sec. There is a special weekend episode coming for you tomorrow. If you enjoyed the Julia Gillard interview, we are going to put the whole uncut version of it, a full half an hour up tomorrow in your feed. So enjoy that. Have a fantastic weekend. We'll catch you Monday. A Podcast One production.